Hey, we're starting a new sermon series called Oh Church Arise, and I'll share that a little bit of uh, what, what that's about in just a moment. But um, have you ever had to arise when you didn't want to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone's like, this morning? No. <laughs> um, it was actually six weeks ago to the day, July 25. We had some family come over to close the Sabbath with us, and uh, we got everybody settled, some family from out of state, in fact, and uh, it was just a, a real blessing to have family over. We got everybody to bed, and it was already kind of late by the time we did, and um, <clears throat> Debbie looked at me, and she said, I'm starting to feel a little funny, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, I chalked it up to what we had eaten the, just, just the meal before, and she did too, except uh, we started to kind of notice that these these funny feelings <laughs> took place a little rhythmically. And it was just after midnight um, that Saturday night that we knew it was time to arise. <laughs> you know? I was all comfy in bed. Even though I was comfy in bed, I was still kind of anxious. Do we really need to get going? And, and Debbie turned to me and said, yep, it's time. We, we need to get up, get packed up, get loaded up, and get rolling out. Went over to the hospital and... Um, I think just four hours later, we're a family of six. Praise the Lord. <laughs> there are times when we need to arise, um, even if we didn't necessarily plan on it, and even if we didn't necessarily expect or, or want to. And uh, what we're talking about over the next few weeks is arising, because uh, in Scripture, this command to arise is really a command to action. The command, it's repeated throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. You find people arising when it's time to get moving, when it's time to act on something of importance, of significance, and of great urgency. Um, in fact, what's really interesting is that in the Psalms, especially, you find people asking God to arise. You find people petitioning and pleading with God to arise because they feel like they need Him to step in. To do something. Just a couple of examples here from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Here's from Psalm 44. Awake. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise. Do not cast us off forever. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. I don't know. Maybe you've had a season where you felt like God was asleep on the job. Uh, we're, we're told in Psalm 121 that God never sleeps or slumbers. And so sometimes we might feel like, hey, God, get, get out of bed, you know. What, what does Elijah tell the prophets of Baal? Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's on a vacation, something like that. But the reality is that God is already at work. Um, sometimes we just feel the need to say, please step in. Please step in. And this is what uh, the psalmists often ask for, for God to arise, to act, and uh, come to the rescue. What's interesting is that not too long ago, I was reading through the book of Acts, and um, I was just looking for just direction in terms of how to, how to impact the community, how to, how to be a church. And as I was reading through the book of Acts, what stood out to me is that throughout the book of Acts, God is calling his church to arise. Several times over, this command, arise, occurs, whether it's to God's people or even a, a, an implication from God's people for others, there is a command repeatedly throughout the book of Acts to arise. And when it does show up, again, it's not the church pleading with God to awake. 
It's as if God is pleading with his people to rouse, to step up and get to work. It's an appeal for people to arise. And could it be that God knows what it's like to long for someone or for his people to get up from their slumber, to finally get moving, to do something of significance and urgency. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look through the book of Acts. You can start turning there in your Bibles. We're going to look through the book of Acts for the times where this appeal to arise occurs. Today, we're going to look at a particular story in Acts chapter 8. We're going to explore these instances where God prompts his church to arise because I believe God is still today calling his church to get on up, to step up and to get into the game, so to speak. And I mean, I think we could all recognize that we are living in very, very unique times. And I think, um, you know, one reaction of mine through all of this has been to just kind of back off and let things kind of settle down, to not jump in the fray because, you know, whether or not I, I... well, depending on the particular issues at hand, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just my personality. Sometimes I just want to kind of let people deal with their drama, you know, and, or let, let society kind of settle down before addressing certain things. But I believe there is a window of time that is historic. You know, these, the crises that we're experiencing one after the other, it's indication that birth pains of this world have been settling in. This is a unique time and God wants his church to arise. So that's what we're studying. We're going to start with the the experience of Acts chapter 8 of a man named Philip. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. This is Acts chapter 8. Before we start reading, I just want to offer one other word of prayer. So let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, we're going to open up your word. And we recognize that um, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We recognize that there is something you want to share with us, you want to open up our eyes to, you want to stir our hearts with. And if that's your intention, we also recognize that the enemy has some intentions. And so we give you permission in the name of Jesus to fulfill your purpose, to rebuke the devil, to fill us with your Holy Spirit of truth, and to guide us into all truth, not just for information's sake, Lord, but for transformation's sake. God, this is a unique time, and we want to hear what you want to say to us and also through us, what you want to do through us. So please move us, we pray. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen. Amen. Okay, so our focus passage is going to be in Acts chapter 8. I'll tell you a verse in just a minute. But before we get to Acts chapter 8, we we are introduced to Philip a few chapters earlier, actually, in chapter 6. If you know who Philip was, Philip was, in chapter 6, he was introduced as one of the seven individuals that, uh, that the Greek believers selected to be a deacon at the time. So Philip, Stephen, Nicanor, you know, all these uh, Greek names, Prechorus, etc. In Acts chapter 6, these people are chosen. And according to Acts chapter 6, verse 3, these were men of good reputation who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Ah, oh, man, how many of you want to be full of the Holy Spirit? And wisdom, of course, every single day, man, we're just pleading for wisdom. But they were, they were full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, which tells you what they were not full of, by the way. They were so full of the Spirit that they could not be full of self. 
Okay? They were emptied of self. Philip was one of these who is not about himself. He was fully reliant upon God. And I tell you what, when God is looking for people to arise, when God is looking for partners in his redemptive story in humanity, he is going to look for people who are fully reliant upon him. He's going to look for people full of the spirit and not of themselves. In fact, I think it's 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. If you're, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9 actually gives us the idea that God's eyes are roaming back and forth throughout the earth to see whose hearts are fully his, that he might strongly support them. Like he's constantly on the lookout. His radar is up. Who is fully reliant upon me? And Philip, Philip was one of those guys. So by the time we catch up with Philip in Acts chapter 8, uh, flip a few chapters now, if you're there still in Acts chapter 8, uh, this was actually a really a crucial turning point in the story of the early church. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus says, hey, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the where? Does anybody remember? ends of the earth, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is kind of actually, you, you might say it's a table of contents for the entire book of Acts. The story of Acts starts with God's work in Jerusalem, then Judea. Now, Samaria was also part of Judea, but God wanted to mention specifically, don't skip the Samaritans, okay? In Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what's interesting is that all throughout chapters 1 through 7, the work of the early apostles, the, those original apostles, the work of the believers was strictly in Jerusalem. And it was kind of a tipping point, which is chapter 6 was one of those tipping points. Like God was trying to get the believers out of Jerusalem. By the time you get to chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 1, what does it say? Here it is. Chapter 8, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. That's speaking of Stephen's stoning. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at where? At Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Okay, now we're following the table of contents. Yeah. So God uses persecution to move the church forward in mission. This is really interesting. This is almost a sermon in and of itself that the greatest opposition that Satan throws is often God's greatest opportunity to work through his people. It's awesome. It's powerful. So what ends up happening is that those who were, let's see, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except who, according to the end of verse one, except the apostles. Okay. So everybody but the 12, I, I guess at this time, but the 11, well, no, 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 now there's 12, right? Matthias is there. Anyways. Everybody but the twelve, the, the clergy, so to speak, they're moved beyond the borders of Jerusalem. And according to verse 2, the Bible says, Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. I'm sorry, what I'm looking for is verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, which was everybody except the apostles, those who were scattered went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Okay? The deacons. Right? The deaconesses, the lay people, they were preaching the gospel. What, what the enemy used as some great opposition, God used as a great opportunity to move the church forward in mission. Philip was one of those. According to verse 5, this is Acts chapter 8, verse 5. 
Then Philip went down to the city of where? Samaria and preached Christ to them. Here's Philip. And later on, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. And so Philip did all of this. He, he was one of those scattered, preaching the word. He was unhindered by cultural bias, praise the Lord, right? He was someone who, uh, without racial prejudice, Philip saw everyone as deserving of hearing the greatest news ever. He proclaimed Jesus. He was used by God to perform signs. He starts scanning through the following, the subsequent verses there in Acts chapter 8. He was performing miracles. He was leading people to great joy. And it was this courageous missionary who is emptied of self and full of the Spirit that God called to arise. Okay, so now, here we go. You ready? This is the, the focus passage of today. We're going to go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. When you're there, say, I'm there. Verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 26. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, here it is. This is probably, um, man, I, I hate to say it's like my favorite story. It's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> Just because this is so cool. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, what are the next three words? Arise and go. Yeah. So here he is. This is the first time arise shows up in the book of Acts. It's to Philip, the evangelist, Philip, who is full of the spirit, Philip, who is emptied of self, Philip, who is preaching the word. And he is called to arise and go. And as we look at the rest of the Philip's experience here, I want us to just kind of see Philip as a model for God's church, how to arise. All right. How can we arise to mission? How can we arise to go on God's errands, so to speak? How did he do it? First of all, let me suggest this. He arose with obedience to the Spirit's promptings. Okay. I mean, just, just notice, Philip was, he had his antenna out. Okay. He was listening. His, his radio signal was not tuned uh, elsewhere, but it was tuned directly to the voice of God. Notice again in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. An angel spoke to Philip. I mean, this is just so cool. Okay. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This angel didn't say, hey, have a good day. No, this angel said, Go to this specific road at this specific time. The rest of the verse says this is desert. And what does Philip do? Was he obedient to the promptings of heavenly intelligences? Yes or no? Yes. Verse 27. So he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. In other words, this is a person of influence and importance. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, verse 28, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, verse 29 again. Then the Spirit said to Philip. I mean, th these aren't just like vague, like rumblings of the tummy. No, th this is the Holy Spirit speaking. The angel spoke to him in verse 26. The Spirit speaks to him now. The, then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. 
All right, so how does Philip arise? First of all, he arises with obedience. Obedience to the Holy Spirit's promptings. And he does this by, one, being aware, having his antenna up. I would submit to you that Philip, this was not the first time he had heard the voice of an angel. This was probably not the first time he had heard the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Why? Probably because he had cultivated a habit of listening, right? He had cultivated a habit of tuning in to the right frequency, Here's Philip. He had spent time growing familiar with God's voice. He demonstrated both a sensitivity and I would say an expectation that God would speak to him. I wonder how often he woke up in the morning and said, just like Samuel, little boy Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I wonder how many of us today have that same expectation. This is something that I've been uh, grappling with myself um, and encouraging our kids uh, recently to just wake up in the morning and, and just like Samuel, just Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You know? When we open up the Bible, yeah, we may, we may have a Bible reading plan. We may want to work through our Sabbath school quarterly. Uh, but don't just, don't just run through the routine. Listen for the voice of the living God. And this is what Philip did. I, I believe that, uh, what is it? So Isaiah 50 verse 4 is actually a messianic prophecy about the experience of Jesus. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I would know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. And then it says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And while that may be a prophecy specifically about the Messiah, I believe that's something that he wants to live out in every one of us. That every single day he would wake us up morning by morning. He would awaken our ear to hear as the learned. Why? So that we can have a learned tongue as well. To speak a word in season to him who is. We'll get to that. Philip ex exhibits that uh, later on in the story. But, you know, here, here he is. He's obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. Have you ever sensed the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Go ahead and reach out to this person. Send a text to this person. Or, or maybe go ahead and overtake that chariot. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it has been that bold and audacious. But I don't know about you, but when I experience those promptings, I am not necessarily like Philip. Uh, where, where is it? It's in verse 30. I didn't read that part. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Okay. Philip wasn't like, you know what? Maybe I'll wait for a little more convenient time, kind of just watch things for a little bit. No, no, no. Philip ran. He was eager. He went about it. No hesitation. And for me personally, as I'm reading this story, I, I realize that my tendency is just to kind of, let me process this a little bit longer. <laughs> Do you really want me to approach this person? Do you really want me to engage that neighbor? Do you really want me to reach out to my cousin? Whatever the case might be. Here's Philip. He rises with obedience. And that obedience is quick. That obedience is filled with swiftness and dispatch. And how, my question is, how is Philip so eager? How is Philip so ready to arise? <laughs> I would say this, that Philip was fully aware that heaven was already at work. And the reality of the supernatural being on your side is a huge confidence booster. <laughs> Right? He had already heard an angel speak to him. Right? He, he knew the ministry of angels that were never alone, were never outnumbered. 
If, we, if I've got a guardian angel and he's got a guardian angel, then sure, this has three against one. You know, that, I don't know if you're thinking, anyways, okay, that's me. The ministry of angels gave him probably a boost of confidence, but he also knew that the Holy Spirit was at work. He sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And you know what? We don't have to wonder if God wants to give us the Holy Spirit because in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, uh, the, the heavenly father is more willing to give the spirit to those who ask than, the, than an earthly father is willing to give good gifts to his children. And if the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we know absolutely that the Holy Spirit is also at work in those he is prompting us to go to. I mean, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was reading from a Hebrew prophet of all people, right? I mean, he had a scroll in his hand. Later on, we see exactly where he was reading. The Holy Spirit was constantly at work or is constantly at work in our lives today. I came across this quote here not too long ago. And I tell you what, this is a, a, a reality that I need to constantly refresh in my own mind. Notice this. This is from the book Evangelism. There is far more being done by the universe of heaven than we have any idea of in preparing the way so that souls shall be converted. Can I get a hoorah? I mean, like, when, when you're wondering, should I? I don't know if I'm the right person or if this is the right time. Remember that heaven has already been there. Heaven has already been working on that heart. Heaven has already been moving circumstances around. And this is that window where you get to play a small part. When the Holy Spirit says, go, then go. <laughs> go near and overtake that chariot. So he went, he ran, and this is how he rose with obedience to the Spirit's promptings. How else did Philip arise? I would, uh, I would suggest he didn't just arise with obedience to the Spirit, but he also arose with genuine interest in the other person. We don't know this eunuch's name. We know he was a man of, of great importance. He had some, some significant authority and responsibility in the queen's court of Ethiopia. But what we do know is that Philip, when he arose in obedience, he also arose with a sense of interest, real interest in this person. How do we know that? Let's just keep look, looking here. The rest of the verses, in, uh, starting in verse 30. Acts chapter 8, verse 30, the Bible says, So Philip ran to him, right? Here's his obedience. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Question. What was the very first thing that Philip did once he got to the chariot? He asked the question. Was there anything he did prior to asking the question? He heard him. Check this out. Okay, okay, okay. So here is Philip, and his genuine interest actually prompts him to pay attention to what is going on in this individual's life. He doesn't just assume that he already knows the agenda. Like he has this gospel to preach that he preached over here in Samaria. Now he can preach it on this road going south to Gaza. No, he, what he's doing is he's actually reading the scene, and he's reading that heart. He's paying attention. He's, he, he arises with a genuine interest to understand what is going on in this individual's life. And that genuine interest was, was expressed both by observation, but also a question. And it wasn't an interrogation. It was just a simple 
question. Hey, that sounds familiar. Do you understand what you're reading? You see, I don't know, there's a strange phenomenon that I started becoming fully aware of. You know, I grew up in a small town. Um, well, I guess it's, in some respects, it's not that small. It, it, Bakersfield, now it's like over 300,000 people. But I grew up in a small kind of uh, environment, going to Christian Academy and stuff. Everybody kind of knew everybody else's name. But when I went to college, even though that college was small, it was much bigger than what I was used to. When I went to college, I noticed this phenomenon that people... Even though we cross paths with each other, see each other on the way to class, on the way here, in the cafeteria, we like to pretend that nobody else is there. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed that you've been in a crowded area and you just kind of pass by and we, we grow this uh, habit of ignoring people, of not looking at each other in the eye. I mean, even, even now, maybe this is especially more so with, with our masked uh, identities and stuff like that. We, kinda, we just kind of want to give each other space, social distance, and we often consider that a courtesy. We're not trying to appear rude or whatever. We just want to give each other space. But I am wary that sometimes this, uh, this habit of being polite actually lends itself to becoming indifferent. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know, maybe that's just my own uh, psyche there, but I, I believe, especially in the book of Acts, that there, there's a particular attention to, I think it's in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John walk up to the temple at the hour of prayer, and there's a blind, not a blind, a, a, a lame man sitting there begging. And um, the Bible says that Peter saw him. <laughs> you know, he paid attention to him. And then Peter asked him to look at them. Like he, he, he was giving permission to actually pay attention, see what's going on. The Bible is careful to note that Jesus saw this person or Jesus saw that person. Uh, like in John chapter 5, when he walked over to the pool of Bethesda, you know, he saw this man who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus saw him. Why does the Bible pay, it, or why does the Bible pay close attention to that? It's because Jesus himself was the one who pays close attention to our needs. So how do we, how do we recapture that? I think Philip recaptured that. He, he heard, he paid attention. He didn't just jump in, he, he observed, and then he asked a question. I think that's one of the, the most simple tools, so to speak, for uh, showing genuine interest in people. One, give yourself time to slow down and actually observe. But two, Ask, ask a question to those that you feel like God is calling, to, calling you to rise up and engage. Ask a simple question. You know, Philip expressed, expressed his genuine interest, his desire to engage by just asking, that, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Sometimes we are so conscious or self-conscious about being interesting, but maybe we should just focus on being interested. Yeah? Ask a question. Hey, what, what is it that you're dealing with? Do you, do you navigate that experience well? Do you, you know, how, how is it that you're going through this or that? Anyways, whether it's a neighbor, in, in whatever the context. By the way, Philip's question was in context, okay? Um, he, he, he was not just asking about, hey, how's the weather? You know, what, he was asking about what the, the man was focused upon. And that's one of the easiest ways to communicate with people. Why? Because it invites interaction. It opens up doors. It invites engagement. In fact, what does this Ethiopian do in response to his question? He engages a dialogue. Verse 31. 
And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And notice this next part. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Hey, come on in. He invited him into his bubble. Why? Because Philip was willing to kind of extend an olive branch through a simple, genuine question. Now, the story continues. I mean, the the plot is just so... You could tell that the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all of this. Verse 32. The place in the scripture which he read was this. You remember, it was the prophet Isaiah. So somehow this Ethiopian eunuch who was on his way back from worshiping in Jerusalem, somewhere along the line, he had an understanding of the true God. Somewhere along the line, he had already picked up a physical copy of the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Okay, he had invested that much energy and probably resource into having this for himself. Verse 32, the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Can anybody guess what chapter of Isaiah this is from? All right, 53, yeah. Isaiah 53, the great messianic chapter of the suffering Messiah. Verse 33, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And in verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? (laughs) Philip's extension of interest engendered interest back. Okay, a mutual response. His question opened up a door for this Ethiopian unit to actually trust him as a voice of influence. And confidence. And so here's Philip. He arises with obedience to the Spirit's prompting. Then he arises with genuine interest in this other person. And finally, in verse 35, he arises with an open mouth. Okay? Uh, he, he expresses interest. And then when the door is open, that's when he opens his mouth. In verse 35, we can read it. Then Philip opened his mouth. And I tell you, sometimes <laughs> when you imagine yourself opening your mouths in a moment of possible engagement with a neighbor or a coworker, I don't know, maybe your heart starts beating fast. You start getting there. What's going to come out? <laughs> That's maybe what you're wondering. Here, Philip, notice, then he opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Oh, that whenever we open our mouths, we would begin right where they are and head cross country. <laughs> head toward the cross. Head towards Jesus. Preach Jesus to him. And there's a promise. There's a promise. Really awesome promise in Psalm 81 verse 10. If you ever get nervous like I do, what am I going to say? How am I going to respond? What if they ask me a question I don't know? Just open your mouth wide. Psalm 81 verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Yeah? Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Yeah, in context, he's probably talking about just open your, open your, your mouths wide so I can fill it with provision, so I can provide you with food, and et cetera, et cetera. But what if in our situations where we feel like we are called upon to speak a word in season, we're not sure if it's the right word in the right season. What if we just opened our mouth and trust God with his promise that he will fill it? with his word. When God calls us to arise and go on his errands, 
When he leads us to someone who is asking questions, he will. He will fill our mouths with just the right words at just the right time if we will simply be willing to open our mouths. And when Philip opened his mouth, again, like we said, what came out? It was Jesus. He preached Jesus to him. And I wonder, could the same, could the same be said of me? That when I open my mouth uh, in talking with my neighbor, am I going to talk more about, or more about the weather or more about sports or whatever? Oh, that God would use me to open my mouth and preach Jesus. When we open our mouths, sometimes we're quicker to, to share a, a news headline or a complaint or a juicy gossip than we are to share of Jesus. But here, Philip, you know, I think it's Matthew 12. Jesus kind of talks about the connection between the mouth and the heart. You know, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And if whenever Philip opened his mouth, he spoke Jesus, it was probably because the abundance of his heart was filled with Jesus. And if you're wondering, how can I, how can I control what I say? How can I be so filled with the Spirit like, like Philip was? Well, let's just fill up your heart. Let your heart's affections be solely centered upon the one who is more lovely than 10,000. If the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart, Philip could open his mouth and preach Jesus because his heart was fully occupied with Jesus. And we can do the same. When Philip opened his mouth, he preached Jesus. And like we said earlier, he started in context. He started right where he was, right where the Ethiopian was. And that's something that we can do too. We can start right where people are. We don't need to necessarily jump 10 steps ahead of them, but start where they are. And that's where the genuine interest, observing and paying attention, that's where that's really key. Being able to understand people for who they are and their needs, what they're already thinking about, what they're already dealing with. And when you start in context, then go cross country. Head towards the cross. Connect that to the story of Jesus. Not just the the historical story of Jesus, but your story of Jesus. Do you understand what I mean by that? Your story of Jesus. I mean, you think about the woman at the well. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago in in our Sabbath school lesson. The woman at the well uh, in John chapter 4, she brought a whole city to Jesus. How did she do that? Did she go to the seminary and get a a PhD, an MDiv or whatever in order to get proper training in order to evangelize this city? No. What she had was a real encounter with Jesus. And she just told her story, her story of Jesus. Come meet a man who told me everything I did. And the whole city came. (laughs) What was it? The the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. He wanted to follow after Jesus after he was healed. But then God tells him, Hey, go home, tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. How do I preach Jesus? I don't know all the stories. Well, you know your story of Jesus. Tell that story. Open your mouth wide and God will fill it. Do you see it? So Philip, he started in context, then he headed toward the cross. He told the story of who Jesus was. He began at that scripture. And the results of this, man, let's just read the story. Verse 36 Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Man, what in the world happened between verse 35 and 36? How much time lapsed? We're not sure. But here's this man who already had some knowledge of who the true God was, already was a student of scripture. He was brought to the point of belief in Jesus. He wanted to be baptized. Verse 37, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. 
I love that, by the way. This is another thing. I, I thought about making a fourth point out of this. Maybe we can do this right now, just on the fly. Philip arose without putting hindrances before people. Instead, he removed hindrances, right? The, the question of the Ethiopian eunuch was, what hinders me from moving forward? What hinders me from being baptized? What hinders me from becoming part of the body of Christ? And Philip said, man, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. Ah, this is beautiful. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized them. Praise the Lord. When we arise sensitive and obedient to the promptings of the Spirit, when we arise with genuine interest in people, when we arise with a willingness to open our mouths so that he can fill it with stories of Jesus, I tell you what, this story will be repeated in our experience. Man, it's a rush when you see someone make a commitment to Jesus that you had some small part to play in. When you watch someone, when, man, just, just a couple of weeks ago, for those of you who were there at Amy's baptism, that, that was a beautiful moment. You know, to see that God would use us as a church family at different experiences and in different parts of her journey to be part of journeying with her to the point of commitment and decision like that. And the story continues. Now, verse 39, they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I mean, it sounds fairy tale, doesn't it? It sounds fairy But here's the, the reality. When we make ourselves available, when we arise to the promptings of the Spirit, when we arise with genuine interest in people, when we arise with open mouths, you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will lead you to do it again and again. <laughs> and this was Philip's story, to be picked up, to do it all over again. These are the kinds of people that God can trust with more opportunities to arise. So simple question today. How many of you want to arise and go? Yeah? Amen. And I don't know, maybe one of those examples of, of Philip is a particular point that you want to take to prayer. God, I want to be more sensitive and obedient to the promptings of the Spirit this week. Or, or maybe you want to be more intentional about listening to people and just practicing simple questions, not, not turning them into interrogation, but simple questions of interest, door openers, so to speak trying to pay attention to what people are thinking about, what they're going through. Or maybe you want to just uh, take that uh, Psalm 81 verse 10 promise to heart this week. God, I'm going to open my mouth. <laughs> Let Jesus come out, right? Fill my mouth with stories of your grace. Hey, friends, I, I believe God wants us to arise, especially in times like this. This is a story that he wants to repeat, not just in, in, in a single day, but day by day. This is a special moment in Earth's history and people are navigating uncharted territory left and right. Just talking to a neighbor. Hey, we are all on the fly here. Okay, we are all trying to figure out what is next. And I tell you what, there are people all around us who are sensing a whole slew of needs that they have never felt before. Could it be that God wants us to encounter them at just the right time and in just the right way? Oh, church, arise. Okay. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we sense today that you are inviting us to arise and go. 
And Lord, while Philip's story kind of happened uh, just in, in a day, Lord, several of us, we're thinking about those neighbors that we see day after day, that we journey with. We're thinking about those family members, those, those within our own homes, our, our children. You know, how do we arise and go day after day? Lord, we pray that at every point of our journey, you would make us obedient and sensitive, expectant that you would prompt us by your Holy Spirit, that the angels of heaven would already be at work where we uh, have no idea. Lord, thank you that you are constantly at work in others' lives. We just want to be a part of it, not get in the way of it. And so please use us this week even. Send us divine appointments where we know that you are calling us to arise. So here we are, like Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, here am I, send me. Don't let us drag our feet to arise, but, but make us eager like Philip to go, to run. We pray these things in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen.